Good evening and welcome to the Journey Church. I'm glad you're with us tonight. We're so happy to be sharing with you a message of patience from the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, as we continue our now two-month-long study on the flesh and the Spirit. And tonight's subject is the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering. If you'll look with me, beginning in verse 16, it talks about walking in the Spirit. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the Spirit. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, and hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another." In discussing the fruit of the Spirit, the nine graces listed here in Galatians 5, 22-23 are often divided into three groups. I have not shared this with you up to this point, but I would like to tonight. The first group contains those graces which turns one's thoughts to God. For example, it talks about the love for God, or love and love for love is of God. We have learned this. Uh, 1 John 4, 8b says, God is love. Uh, it talks about joy, for we rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. And then we talk about peace. Peace from God comes with, from God comes the peace that surpasses understanding, as Jesus taught us in, in John chapter 12. And He also mentions it uh, through the Spirit's inspiration in uh, Philippians chapter uh, two, I believe. Yes, the second group contains those graces that direct our attention to our fellow man. For example, long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. And the third group of graces refers more directly to oneself, faithfulness, gentleness, which is the word meekness, and self-control. So having examined those graces in the first group, love, joy, and peace. We've done that over the last three weeks. We now come to the first of the second group, which is long-suffering, also known as patience in the New American Standard Bible. The Greek word here literally means long-tempered. Long-tempered. It is the opposite of being short-tempered. So I tried to think about what is an example of short-temperedness. And I discovered I didn't have to think long about it because um, some of us have a propensity for it. And it is like when you're deep in concentration and someone calls your name and brings and snaps you out of your attention and the emotion you feel at that moment is short-temperedness. So, you know, you're putting on your shoes and you're thinking about having to go preach the sermon and then someone you love calls you and said, did you forget to get the rolls for dinner? That 
would cause some short-temperedness in myself, for example, when I'm thinking. Um, actually, not too long ago, it's this, this happened, uh, I think, today. And uh, so uh, long-suffering is being long-tempered, not short-tempered. It literally means, um, you know, patient. It is defined by patience, uh, forbearance, forbearance, or slowness of avenging wrongs. Slowness of avenging wrongs. Long-suffering, according to Vine's dictionary, is the quality that of self-restraint. It is the quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation, which does not hastily retaliate or promptly punish. It is the opposite of anger and is associated with mercy and is used of God. That is as excellent of a definition as I have ever heard. Long-suffering is that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation which does not hastily retaliate or promptly punish. It is the opposite of anger and is associated with mercy and used of God. God is long-suffering. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We should not be surprised that those who walk in the Spirit are also long-suffering. All right? And so as we seek to work in conjunction with the Spirit of God, and we want to walk in the Spirit of God to develop His fruit in our lives, it might be helpful to nurture long-suffering by recalling some examples of long-suffering. So that's number one, examples of long-suffering. Let's talk about just two, for example. We'll talk first of all about the long-suffering of God. God has been, God is, and will be until the day of judgment, long-suffering. God is long-suffering towards mankind. And uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 says it like this, "...who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water." So here God was long-suffering during that time that the ark was being built. And I think the ark was built over several decades. It was built over a very long, very long, long time. And uh, in fact, I think Noah was 600 years old when he began to build the ark. And, uh, you know, that's, that's way past retirement. And, uh, and of course, he'd never seen a boat before. And a flood, what's that? And, uh, but all the time that he was building that ark, God was long-suffering with His anger that He was going to pour out on the world, which, of course, He destroyed. And uh, with a mighty flood, God was long-suffering in the days of Noah. He was, he was in dealing with the nation of Israel, just as a Bible reference, Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 16 through 21. God was patient with the rebellion of the nation of Israel. 
uh, he is long-suffering today as well. I stayed over here in 1 Peter so I could just turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 9 says, But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire unto the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and as a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That would be a wonderful passage of Scripture to do a Bible study on uh, in the near future. Um, but the thing to take away in that passage is the patience of God. In First, in First Timothy chapter one, Paul tells the young pastor. He says in verses fifteen through sixteen, he says, um, "This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief." However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. That would be an also a very good passage of Scripture to study at length as well to explain exactly why God is longsuffering, uh, both from 2 Peter 3 and 1 Timothy 1. But we can summarize it by saying it is all for His glory. And uh, it is for, for His purpose. So, but speaking of His purpose, let's, we're talking about the long-suffering of God and how God has been long-suffering towards man. But let's talk about the purpose of His long-suffering. Um, 2 Peter 3.15 tells us it's so that we might have salvation. So that we might have salvation. Uh, that we might be led to repentance, which is Romans 2 verse 4. So we're led to salvation, that we might be led to repentance, and that those who fear Him and keep His commandments del might delight in His loving kindness, even though they have sinned. Psalm 103 verses 8 through 18. I asked a group the other day that has been going through a very, very difficult uh, list of, of sins and uh, a very onerous Bible reading as they have now confessed over 500 plus sins to God this month and, and read the biblical passages that go along with each of these sins. If any of them feel farther from God because they have been convicted and found guilty of the sins for which they are praying. And there was not one person that hesitated to say no. In fact, they feel closer to God because they have found Him to be merciful. See, when, when Jesus Christ was ministering in the book of John, there's a story where men, four men brought a man who was mangled and dropped him through the roof and for Jesus to pronounce uh, whatever he was going to pronounce on the man. And the, very, and the Pharisees were present 
And the very first thing that Jesus did said, your sins are forgiven. Uh, you know, and the, the Pharisees were sitting over, or standing over by the buffet line at the prayer meeting. And, uh, you know, they spit up their matzo balls because they, they couldn't believe that this man claimed that this obviously cursed man's sin had been forgiven. And Jesus discerned what was in their hearts. And Jesus said, why do, you, why do you question what I do? Is it easier to say to a man, your sins are forgiven, than it is to say, rise up and walk? And of course, they mumbled under their breath and you know, were casting and hurling insults at Jesus. All of a sudden, you know, the buffet line had no, they didn't want to throw up their matzo balls. They wanted to pick up stones and throw out Jesus. And... Uh, Jesus then immediately knowing their thoughts healed the man rise up and walk. And one of the things that I taught this group about that teaching is that Jesus is always, always first and foremost about reestablishing the relationship. This is not something that the New Age Church understands when they talk about the term God's all about relationship. God wants to, Jesus Christ wants to establish a relationship of holiness between you and God the Father. He wanted to end the enmity, and so thus He healed the enmity, and then He healed the disease. And that's always the pattern. It's always the pattern. Um, and it was not any more sensational than the fact that it was sensational that, you know, they were having to call State Farm to get the roof fixed that day. And um, hopefully they got good coverage. But uh, the, the point I wish to make is this. Jesus is long-suffering. And the question is, was the man lowered through the roof saved that day? Of course he was. Uh, of course he was. Well, we didn't see him pray the sinner's prayer. Well, we don't believe that's a sacrament. Uh, that doesn't save a soul. Uh, Jesus saves. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. That's, that's it. And I'm quite sure that probably we'll get to heaven and find out that that man lowered through the roof was probably one of the 120 in the upper room. He probably became quite a follower of Jesus Christ, I would imagine. But even if he wasn't, uh, he was a man that could say, I once was lame and now I can walk. I found my Redeemer, and my Redeemer lives. The, then you have the long-suffering of David. The long-suffering of David, it of course is best seen in his dealings with the worldly king, Saul. Saul had made several attempts to kill David over the course of, of his uh, administration of Israel. And David had several opportunities to kill Saul. We read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 24 in the cave and in 1 Samuel 26 in the camp. David could have killed uh, King Saul, but out of respect for the Lord's anointed, which was King Saul, David demonstrated the true meaning of long-suffering, and that was the slowness to avenge wrongs. And so sometimes when we're ready to go uh, show that we're going to go avenge the wrongs of others, we might need to be long-suffering because God may have a work He wishes to do in us. He's going to take care of the other one. 
He just, I think that as followers of Jesus, that long suffering uh, causes us to a moment to maybe go examine, do I have a speck in my eye or a beam in my eye? Or is there something the Lord is showing me here that is greater? So we've seen these examples of long suffering in both God Himself and who and one who was a man after God's own heart, David, we learned that the quality of long-suffering involves um, this desire to lead to repentance, this desire of salvation, this desire to be slow in avenging wrongs. But I wish now to consider the second part of this, and it is the necessity in the life of the Christian. So number two, the necessity of long-suffering. The necessity of long suffering. It is necessary, it is uh, necessary if we wish God to be long suffering to us. It is necessary if we wish God to be long suffering to us. As Jesus illustrated in the parable of the unmerciful servant, I want you to go look at it. Uh, Matthew 18. This one is, uh, uh, we have a saying. Uh, it's called a humdinger. And this is a humdinger. And uh, I don't know what language that comes from. It might, come, it might be West Texas oil patch. I don't know. But in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives the parable of the unforgiving servant that begins in verse 21. But, I, but uh, bottom, the, kind of to summarize it, there was a servant of a master uh, a master servant who owed him a great deal of money. Uh, I mean, years of wages. And that man was walking around one day, the man that was the great debtor, and there was a man that owed him maybe a day's worth of wage. And the man did not pay up at the moment, and so he had the man thrown into a torturer's prison. And uh, oddly enough, he had, the man that had him thrown in the prison had just been forgiven of all the debts that he owed his master. He failed to learn the lesson of compassion. And so in verse 32 you can pick up, Then his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. And then he gives this solemn warning. He says, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Notice it's not talking about any visible sign of forgiveness. As I told you with the story of the man dropped through the roof, Jesus knows the thoughts and the hearts and the intentions of man. God says, I test the reins of the heart. In this passage, he's talking about if you're holding unforgiveness in your heart, having been forgiven so much debt, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Christ Jesus. If that's lost its allure to you, allure to you, and you sit there and you hold your, your unforgiving heart where maybe no one would even know that you even felt that way, Jesus does. And he gives a warning to his audience in Matthew 18, he, which are specifically his followers. He's saying, this is not the behavior you're to demonstrate. You are to forgive. Though, as the Bible says, those who have been forgiven much, much is required. Much is 
required. Um, so it is long-suffering. It's necessary for us. And compare it to the following verse. Look over here in Galatians, I'm sorry, Colossians uh, chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I, I will probably be teaching this book soon. Uh, it's such a wonderful book. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and all just as we do to you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and His saints. So you see, he, uh, well, that's a wonderful passage, but that's in First Thessalonians. Um, and I'm not even going to try to cram that uh, square peg into that round hole. Um, but uh, thank you for listening anyway. Um, if your Bible says that what I just read is from Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, then please uh, write us and we'll send you a new Bible. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, uh, that I am now looking at the book of Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on the tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, what's the next word? Long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. It doesn't say go air out everything you have to say. You know, it just, it just says forgive them. Okay, well, and I need, they need to know. No, they don't. Because it says right here, Holy Beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all else, it says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. My dad, he, and, uh, he's been gone nearly... Uh, 48 years and uh, well, no, he hadn't been gone that long because I'm 48 years old. Um, uh, he's been gone a while. Died 91, and uh, my dad was 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 certainly my favorite human being that ever lived, and uh, best friend too. And but dad had he he wasn't perfect, um, despite me telling. Despite him telling us he was, he he wasn't, and um, he was 99% good and about 68% bad. And um, Dad had this terrible penchant to say, "Now I'm offering you constructive criticism." Now I I would not hire a contractor to build my house whose job was demolition, construction demolition. I mean, I just, I wouldn't do that. Say, well, okay, I'm going to come build your house. Well, how much are you going to destroy to build it? And that's what Dad said. And I mean, he picked it up from a book or something. Uh, but he said, I'm going to offer you constructive criticism. There is no such thing. Um, there's education, but constructive criticism doesn't work. And, uh, and, and we would have had a much better relationship. It, it would have been perfection improving upon perfection if he didn't have that one aspect, I think, to his life. If my sister's watching, she knows exactly what I'm talking about. And, uh, but the reality of it is, is in this passage, we bear with one another, and I have found something to be very true as I have gotten grayer. 
and, and had some very good advice given to me in the last nine years. I don't tend to remember why I get upset so much anymore because I forget what I got upset about and truly I don't care. Um, there's too much life to live and, and you know, uh, as one man said, and I like this, he said, so you go around trying to make people feel good. Yeah, because uh, I've tried the other and it doesn't work. And so I used to be extremely critical. My family could tell you that and they would, I think they would honestly say, I'm not now. I mean, I, 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 I just, that's just not how I want to spend my time. And so in this passage means something. In this verse here it says, bear with one another. I read an article today written by a man whose father, well he's a pastor, his father was a pastor, his uncles were pastors, and his brothers are pastors. And this article was on the secrets of what pastors really feel. And I went through all of them and I read them. And I said, yeah, I feel all of these things. It was interesting. It, is, it should not have been put out there for consumption by lay people because it makes the pastor look weak. But the reality of it is we're just people and we have a job too and we don't deal with anything anybody else doesn't deal with. I mean, that's life. One of the reasons it's hard being a pastor is because you share in the highs and the lows of the people's families you're in and they treat you like family. You don't treat your neighbor like you treat your family, right? Right. And so because you were there at the birth and you were there at the funeral and there at the marriage and there at the baptism and there at the dedication of the building, you're part of the family. So, you know, Brother James is really Brother James or my son or something. He just needs to be whooped. And, you know, there's that idea. And then when you understand that as a pastor and you say, you know what, that's, you know, they, they treat you like family. That'll get you past it. But everything I read today had to do with their earthly comfort. And I thought, this is not correct. I'm going to give it to someone I know and let her write a letter to them because they need to be corrected. And uh, um, under a pseudonym, of course. But this passage speaks of put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering all of that can be substituted into the word bearing. So if you're going to really honor the Lord with bearing with somebody, it's not grin and bear it. Grin and bear it's not. <laughs> that's not grin and bear it. Grin, it, it, grin and bear it is, is not a biblical concept. Bearing with them is said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm, they're a work in progress. I'm a work in progress, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, right? Have you ever heard anybody come up and tell you that it's walking in high-handed sin and they say, well, God knows my heart? You know, someone did that to me several years ago. They don't go to church here anymore. But they said, God knows my heart. And I said, boy, you shouldn't have brought that up. He knows it better than you. It's deceitfully wicked above all things. It's like, well, I'm not coming here anymore. Well, the truth kind of hurts. Yeah, God knows my heart. That's nothing to say, well, my motives are pure because God knows my heart. That's not a reason to say anything like that. Um, well, I'm getting a divorce because I prayed to the Lord about it. Well, prayer is not meaning you go get a divorce. What did God say? What was the answer? How did He respond? What does His Word have to say? Well, that's just being legalism. No, 
that's not having a Christian worldview, that's having a biblical worldview. And you have to ask yourself eventually, just like with the election going on, with the election that's going on in the United States, what's your authority? People say, I don't know how Christians can vote for this candidate, and I don't know how Christians can vote for another candidate. Well, I can tell you how someone under biblical authority can vote only for one candidate, because this is the authority. All right? I don't care about what, what a Christian, uh, that doesn't even mean anything anymore in our country. But people that want to be folks that have un, under the authority of Scripture, that's different. Yeah. The necessity, so Christ has forgiven us, therefore we must be long-suffering and willing to forgive one another. Can we get an amen for that? You know, amen. It's necessary to maintaining the unity of, of the Spirit. That's letter B. The necessity of long-suffering is necessary to maintaining the unity of the Spirit, a task we face in keeping with a walk that is worthy of our calling. That's Ephesians chapter 4, 1 for through 3. And without long-suffering, the sins that we commit against one another will quickly destroy the unity that Christ, for which Christ died. I'm going to say this again because I've, I've said it once, and I like to say things about 20 or 30 times so that they, they finally get picked up. We live in one of the most divisive moments right now since the 1970s and the charismatic renewal. I have been caught up in it before, and I have left it. And uh, um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll actually preach on it at some point, and I'll write a chapter and a book about it. But I have found that in that process, I never saw a more divided church than in that because the idea was that you have the Spirit-filled and the non-Spirit-filled believers. And the reality of it is, when you look at the Scripture and the testimony of Scripture, you know, when we receive Christ, we receive the escrow, the down payment, the confirmation of our faith, which is the Holy Spirit at that moment. But here's the thing, those that go around bragging and boasting about who's of the Spirit and who's not of the Spirit and condemn them, that is not of the Spirit because the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is the ministry of unity in the brethren and the sistren and then to bring the lost to Christ. It is not anything else. It is not so you can walk around and say high-handedly, this is what the Spirit of God told me. We know this to be true. The Spirit, of the, God, the Spirit of God wrote the New Testament. And it is amazing to me of those who claim to be this filled with the Spirit and they do the very things that are not in the Scripture, which would make the Holy Spirit neither a gentleman nor honest. It would make Him a liar. And so... Um, I just I want you to understand that it is necessary for maintaining the unity of the Spirit. What is that? Long-suffering. Long-suffering in keeping with a walk that is worthy of our calling. If you are walking worthy of your calling in Christ, you will be walking in unity with those in biblical authority. Okay? You will not be walking in unity with those that have any other authority. But with those who walk in biblical authority, you will be in unity with them. Because this is your standard. This is your foundation. Everything we know of Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus taught and what He heard His Father say and do is in this book. This is our authority. There is no other authority. 
All right? Now, it is necessary also, without long suffering, the sins we commit against one another will quickly destroy the unity of the church which Christ died. It's necessary for preachers and teachers, letter C, necessary for preachers and teachers of the gospel. Paul charged this to Timothy, the young pastor. He said, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, he was to be patient. But he was to be, but I, I want to show you, since I brought it up, what else he said. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, he says, well, verse 1, in fact, this was preached on the night of my ordination to me. <laughs> you, if, if anyone ever feels like they've been to church and the preacher has written the sermon for them, um, I can honestly say I've been to church where the preacher wrote the sermon for me at my ordination. I charge you therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, His appearing and His kingdom, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and patience. So the pastor is to convince people, he's to argue with them, um, and, or debate, whatever you want to call it. Um, he, he is to uh, uh, admonish or to rebuke. It is the job of the shepherd to correct and to exhort, and that's to exhort to work. Get on with it. Get going. Move on. Get past this. You're never going to get over it, but you can get through it, and so forth. But notice, it doesn't say do it like a football coach or a band director. It says to do it with all long suffering, so with all patience. And I'm going to tell you why he says to do it that way. I'm going to give you the secret. It's not for the benefit. It's not for the benefit of the recipient. It's for the benefit of the pastor, and there's a reason. Because eventually you get to the place where you say, I am beating my head against the desk. They are not listening to me. They are not heeding me. God, why did you send this person into my side, this thorn in my flesh? And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And uh, get up and keep on. The long suffering is don't quit. Don't quit. Years ago, I bought a bread truck when I moved to Gainesville. Yes, a very big one. It's about that size. I bought a bread truck, and it says Hostess Twinkies on it. And uh, by the way, for those of you that are part of the journey, I ate a Twinkie last Friday night, and, and yesterday I spent all day in the hospital. <laughs> and uh, so I'm done with Twinkies. And uh, I just wanted you to know, uh, Mary Jo, forgive me, long-suffering and patience. And uh, so I bought a Twinkie truck. And this Twinkie truck, you could put a nickel or a quarter in it. And I set it on my desk. I had a very formal office with a very beautiful desk. And I set it, and I decided that every Sunday, Monday morning, normally pastors want to get up and go drive a bread truck instead of be preachers. They're exhausted. They're tired. You know, they go to church to worship, but church is just a day where everybody gets to see them and air out their trash. And so on Sunday morning, you go to, my wife just looked at me, I'm going to get a letter later, page six. And uh, um, I, put, I put this Twinkie truck on my desk, and you put a nickel in it every time you want to drive a bread truck. I can tell you to this day, there is not one coin of change in my bread truck. And I can't find the Twinkie truck. Uh, I don't need it. I don't do Twinkies anymore. I just... I just recovered from it after a relapse. The uh, only place I put my quarters now is 
and one of these. And probably nobody knows what this is. It's a corn, coin port. A coin purse. Yes. And if you'd like to know how many you're supposed to put in it, it's only 10 coins every day when you leave. But that's another story. We've got so much time I'm trying to fill. Uh, Paul had demonstrated it by example uh, to uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 10, and that no servant of the Lord can faithfully correct those in opposition. Listen, no servant of the Lord can faithfully correct those in opposition without the quality of long-suffering. I've watched a video, and I'm sure many of you have on YouTube, where a video of a man has fallen asleep in church, and the pastor goes bananas. And he, he's, he's decided he's already cost himself his job, so he might as well let everybody else know how he's feeling. And then he gets in the pulpit and tries to save face, and only the denomination he's in would believe him, he said, you know, I only say this because I love you. There was no love. There was no long-suffering. There was none of that. Any time that there is correction, it has to be done with patience. And I have found the best way to correct people, apart from serving them uh, do not trespass warrants, is uh, to say, have you thought about the ramifications of me serving you with a trespass warrant if you ever show up here again? You know, no, it's not that way. It is, have you considered this? I don't, I very rarely go up to somebody and say, you're wrong or I disagree with you. You're just asking for the porcupine to put its quills up. There is a way to move someone's cheese and they don't know it. And uh, there's a wonderful book entitled, The Bible That You Can Learn That Method or Who Moved My Cheese? So the useful, the use, so to be useful for the master prepared for every good work, as Peter, as Paul says, and even to assure God's, God's long-suffering towards us, we need to develop the virtue of long-suffering. And so here, as we finish, are just two ways of many, I'm sure, you can develop long-suffering. Number one is through love. See uh, Galatians 5. Uh, 22 through 23, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? So is love. It is love that suffers long. Love that suffers long. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Unless we love those who have wronged us, there will not be sufficient motivation to bear it with them. This is a, this is a truth. This is a truth. I, I think we could all agree there are no more painful relationships than those relationships of um, betrayal. There's nothing more patient than betrayal. But I can give you an example of how Jesus did this. Jesus knew before eternity passed that He would call a man to be a disciple of His that would be a false sheep, he would be a son of perdition. He would never be elect. He would never, ever be saved consequently. He would be created, predestined for hell. And uh, Jesus says as much, and His name is Judas Iscariot. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus was betrayed by Judas. And in that meeting, 
when he was to go betray the Lord for 30 pieces of silver, Jesus looked at him and said, Go do what you must do. Instead of saying, Hey guys, just want all of you to know I'll solve the mystery for you. This is the, this one here is colluding with the devil. We have his dossier. We know. Let's impeach him. And the Bible is so, so wonderfully written, and it says, And Judas departed into the utter darkness. Just such a play on words. The Bible's not boring. I mean, and it says, And Satan entered him. And so he was the son of perdition, and, you know, his end was at the end of a rope. And uh, he suffers to this day crying, Father Abraham, Father Abraham. And yet he had the prophets with him, walked with the Messiah, and he's lost. Um, but my point is not to point out Judas. It is that Jesus loved him. There was a prevenient grace of love. Jesus didn't save him. Jesus loved him. Jesus didn't save him from the end of that rope. Jesus didn't save him from betraying him. Because you know what would have happened if Jesus did? We wouldn't even be on the air tonight. We wouldn't know about a hill called Calvary. We wouldn't know about all of that stuff. God was glorified in the evil that Judas did. And so uh, we can talk about that another time. So therefore love, the active goodwill that is spoken of in the fruit of the Spirit, which is active goodwill, it's the thought, it's the bent of the thought in the heart of active goodwill is fundamental to being slow to avenge wrongs. Okay? So if you're really one of these folks that want to avenge, I mean, you want to join the Avengers and you're going to set straight all of this stuff, I just want to ask you to consider what the Apostle is saying about the fruit of the Spirit. Because the first aspect of long-suffering and patience is love. And so, what is your goodwill? Well, I've got to save all these people. If, if, if our job was to save people, we would have been crucified. That would have been a task for us. We're not called to that. We're not called to save. We're called to serve. And we're not called to serve anyone but the interests of Jesus Christ. And that is bearing with one another, forgiving one another. That's too hard for some folks. They think that you must be non-compromising. They think that you must be retaliatory. You must, everything's black and white. It's not. It's only black and white with God. And we have to do the best of it. It's no wonder that the part of our brain that thinks is called gray matter. There's a lot of gray hues in that area, right? Does it make sense? Okay. Then there's long suffering, or uh, you know, you 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 need to not only love, know that love is long suffering, and you need to grow in love. But as you grow in love, as it says in First Thessalonians four nine and First John three sixteen will grow in patience. So if you want to grow in patience, um, I used to say tongue-in-cheek, don't pray for patience. God likes to answer that impatiently. Um, there's just a better thing to do. You don't need to pray for patience. Pray to grow in love. If you'll grow in love, patience will come. It's, it's part and parcel. Here's the last one then. I just mentioned it. Through prayer. Through prayer. 
Paul evidently believed that prayer would help the Colossians to have all patience and long-suffering with joy, he says in Colossians 1, 9 through 11. He says that you have all patience and long-suffering with joy, and certainly God who is long-suffering will strengthen those desire, who desire to be like Him. That's Psalm 145, verse 8. He will strengthen those who desire to be like Him. He's long-suffering. So in conclusion... God has certainly revealed Himself to be long-suffering, as David wrote in the Psalms. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. That's Psalm 86, verse 15. And for those who desire to be truly His children and led by the Holy Spirit, they will want to become like Him, as David wrote just a few verses before, and he said, Teach me your ways, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth, in Psalm 86, verse 11. So the way of the Lord is truly one involving long-suffering. It is an attribute of Christianity. It is not an... It is a, as, as I shared with the group before the camera came on, um, long-suffering is... You can kind of measure your long-suffering about how you... What is your attitude of joy while you're having to wait when you know that you shouldn't be waiting. If you can wait patiently with joy in your heart, then you truly are long-suffering um, in that moment. So, you know, you're... For example, you have to stand in line to vote, and it's cold, and it's rainy. And, uh, or you have to stand at line at a grocery store and there's only two checkers working and there's 35 checkout stands and the self-checkout is broken. Um, how long you have to wait if you can stand there with joy in your heart in the midst of having to wait, then you have truly found the key to long-suffering. Okay? You're, you're, you're doing it. And so the way of the Lord is truly one involving long-suffering and it is a quality of those who are walking in the Spirit. You'll be able to see it. And so I've turned to Romans 2 as I conclude with this last sentence. May the Lord help us to be long-suffering with those around us. May we also be careful to respond to the Lord's long-suffering towards us in a proper way as it is said. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, who you who judge the practices, practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches, the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the days of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immorality. I'm sorry, immortality but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and of the Greek, 
but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So practice patience. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You for tonight, this lesson, this teaching. We thank You, Father, for the attendant humor that came with it. And uh, we pray, Father, that uh, You would teach us to love. That, Lord, we would... Uh, you would, you would show us uh, how to grow in love, that we would not only grow in love, but we would be found growing in love, that we will be growing in patience. We love you and we thank you in the precious name of Jesus. We give you all honor and glory for your long-suffering towards us because of your great love wherewith you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and have a great night.